Well, how many of you uh, like to read reviews before you choose a restaurant or a uh, hotel or something like that? Anybody like to read reviews? Well, uh, I, for one, live and die by reviews. I'm always uh, reading the next review, especially when we're going on vacation or something like that. Uh, We'll read the reviews before we go to a particular restaurant or hotel or or something like that. And and so I wanted to share with you some funny reviews today and want to start in honor of Pastor Jeff's love for White Castle, wanted to start with a review of White Castle. If you've never seen one, this is what a White Castle looks like. And here's a review from uh, for somebody that went to White Castle. It says, the meat is questionable for sure. But there's just something about these little baby-sized burgers that are so good. Maybe it's the novelty of eating food that makes your hand look giant-sized in comparison Maybe it's the chicken rings that are peppered with crack. I don't know. You can be the judge on that. How many Taco Bell fans we have in the room? Any, you love Taco Bell? A few of you? All right, you can enjoy this one. Taco Bell is great when you want vaguely Mexican-flavored food-like items to shove down your throat. <laughs> can agree with that or not. You can have Taco Bell for lunch here in just a little bit. A place called Taco Santo. Here's kind of a strange review. It says, the entire kitchen and wait staff saw an ice cream truck and ran outside, <laughs> leaving me alone in the restaurant. Ten minutes later, they all came back with ice cream cones. I still can't believe this actually happened. And then, uh, this is not a restaurant, but a place called Ford's Theater, a historic, historic building. A guy named Abe L. shares this with us. There's a picture of Abe L. on the screen there for you. From Washington, D.C. says, was murdered here. Would not recommend. <laughs> Might take you a minute to get that or not. Are you just laughing along with everybody else? Well, as funny and as mildly inappropriate as those reviews might be, Uh, We'll probably all admit that uh, our culture has been transformed by the internet, and particularly the marketplace has changed dramatically. The opinion of just one consumer of what any given place has to offer has never had as much power as it does today. Unfortunately, uh, this same consumer-driven review mindset has made its way into the church as well. And sometimes, if we're we're willing to admit it, sometimes we're more driven by our consumerism or uh, what we think is best and what we want than we are about transformation. Well, welcome to Element Church. My name is Andy Hazlett. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Element, and it's a privilege to share the message with you today. Next Sunday, Pastor Jeff will be kicking off a brand new series called Why? And in that series, we're going to be using the lens of Scripture to talk about why we exist as a church. If you're new here, uh, this is a great series for you to be at, to learn about who we are as a church. If you're a regular attender, uh, it's great for you as well. You'll be reminded of who we are as a church. Uh, It's also a great opportunity for you to invite someone to attend church with you. And I just want to remind you that the majority of guests that come to church for the first time, they come because they were invited by someone personally. So so don't neglect those personal invitations. It's huge. And we encourage you to take that invite card on your seats and invite someone with it. Well, today I have a privilege of closing out our series called Glory. 
And throughout this entire summer, we've been going through the last five chapters of the book of Romans. And in this series, we've seen three main things. The glory of God changes us, unites us, and gives us purpose. The book of Romans is actually a letter, and it was written to a local church in Rome. That church was divided, by the way. It was filled with Jewish and non-Jewish or Gentile believers who couldn't agree on many different things. So even nearly 2,000 years ago, conflict existed in the church as it often exists in many. It does exist in just about every church today. Paul writes Romans to explain the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus. In short, the good news about Jesus is, is that uh, we are all sinners, but God, through his perfect son, Jesus, has provided salvation for sinful humanity so that anyone who trusts in Jesus for salvation, surrendering to Jesus as Lord, will be justified or made right with God by their faith in Jesus. This is Paul's conclusion to the letter he sends to the Romans. We're looking at the last few verses of Romans. And if I were to put a theme on the message today, a theme on these few verses, it's this, transformation. Transformation. Now, before we jump into the message, let me just quickly say a word to the skeptic in the room. Uh, perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian, and, and you, I'm sure, have a very valid reason for your skepticism of Christianity. First of all, I'm so glad that you're here today. I hope that you'll continue to come, whether you ever believe in what we believe as a church or not. But, but I will admit up front that in so many ways, the church, not just Element Church, but the Christian church at large, has failed you. See, this, is, this place, this church, is not a club. And it's, it's not supposed to just be a gathering place for the godly. What I hope that you'll see in the message today is the real reason and the real heart behind the Christian faith. It's transformation. It's transform transformation. Frankly, all we do as a church is completely worthless without the transformation of Jesus. The big idea in the message today is this. The true gospel is about transformation, not consumerism. And the big question we're going to ask and answer is this. How does Paul summarize the true gospel of transformation? The main scripture is Romans 16, verses 21 through 27. And in particular, we're going to focus on verses 25 through 27. Number one is this. Transformation strengthens. First part of verse 25, Paul says this. Now all glory to God, who is able to make you strong. God is the only one who is able to save. He's the only one that can transform and sanctify and redeem and change and preserve and fill with power. The NLT uses the phrase, make you strong. The NASB uh, translates it as establish you. The, the message of Paul, speaking of God as the source of our strength, is echoed throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament. But here are two verses that speak the same message. Ephesians 3 verse 20 says, 
Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Jude 1, 24 says, now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great glory, uh, with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. Interestingly, at the beginning of Romans, in Romans 1, verse 11, Paul says this, For I long to visit you so I can bring you some spiritual gift that will help you grow strong in the Lord. That word strong is the same word Paul uses in chapter 16, verse 25, that we just read to make you strong at the end of the letter. But at the beginning of the letter, when Paul uses this word, He's using it to describe his role as an apostle to strengthen people's faith. But now at the end of the book, Paul makes this statement that ultimately, even though he's devoted his life to strengthening the faith of believers, ultimately, he says at the end of the book, God is the only one who has the power to save and sustain and bring peace and establish and keep you on the right path. Paul's saying that God is able and he is the only true source of strength. God is able. About a week ago, uh, my daughter Maddie came up to me and uh, Maddie is, she'll be seven here in a couple of months. Here's a, a picture of uh, of Maddie. That's her right there. She's got one crooked tooth that's about to fall out and it has since fallen out. And the next one is crooked as well now. And Maddie is full of personality and expression, just absolutely full of personality. Well, she came up to me uh, the other day. I was sitting down in the living room and and she had this Kindle in her hands. This is like the, the Kindle that the kids just beat up and mess with. And, and so she had the Kindle. It was exactly like this with a charger cable plugged into it. And, and she was beside herself, so upset about something. And she came up to me and she put it down on my lap and just said, Daddy, I don't know what's wrong with it. I don't know what the problem is. The battery's dead. I plugged it in. And I don't know what's wrong with it. I've been waiting and it just, it won't do anything. I don't know what's wrong with it. Exactly like this. <laughs> and so I smirked and I said, honey, it's not plugged into the wall. And she kind of just giggled and said, oh, oops. And then she scurried off and went on her way. And at some point, I think, figured it out. <laughs> that she needed to plug it into the wall if it was supposed to work. A dead electronic is basically a good-for-nothing paperweight as long as it remains disconnected from the power source. And I know it's kind of maybe a silly illustration, but that's the kind of problem we experience in our faith when we're flailing around wondering why life can be so excruciatingly difficult, yet so often we are disconnected from the power of God. And we wonder, what's wrong? And I'm not saying your life can't suck even when you're plugged into the power of God, because it can. It'll be difficult. But he's with us, and he provides power to us and, and help for us. Church, are you settling for cheap imitations? It's exactly why Christians need a consistent devotional life to abide in Christ and be connected to him and remain in his presence, because he's our power source. 
And so often, rather than going to the Lord for help, we go to so many other sources, settling for a cheap imitation of all that God has for us. And there are both positive and destructive sources. And when I say destructive, I'm referring to things like drugs and alcohol abuse and unhealthy relationships and pornography and etc. There's so many things that can be destructive sources of help for us. And in the midst of difficulty, we often turn to destructive behavior that will distract us from actually dealing with our pain. We know that those destructive behaviors are not helping, but they do enable us to ignore the problems and ignore the pain. On the flip side, there are positive sources for help. Good things, God-ordained things like godly, wise Christian counseling and gaining a mentor and attending a small group or volunteering or even attending church. And ironically, these positive sources of help can actually keep me from experiencing the transforming strength of the Lord Jesus. Now, maybe you're thinking, what is he talking about? What do you mean by that? Like, are you saying don't come to church? I thought I was supposed to come to church. And of course you should come to church. Of course God, God will use those things and does use those things for his glory. And God will help you through those, those things. But, but here's what I mean by that. Those things can and will be means in which God will bring healing and help and wholeness in your lives. But while those, while those positive sources of help can provide support. They cannot raise the dead. They cannot raise the dead. The resurrected Christ Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father, is interceding for us right now on our behalf, and he is the one that is able. You and I are spiritually dead without Christ. And listen, you can try to give something dead food to eat. But that food will be of no value to the dead. It just won't. And the same is true when we're talking about spiritual nourishment. It has no value to the dead. It has value to the living. So if, have you been transformed by the living Christ? Paul's reminding us in these closing words of Romans that he is able and only he is able. Spiritual life starts with Jesus and it is sustained in him as well. You can sprinkle all the church attendance and powerful moments in worship and small group time you want into your life. But until you've been transformed by the living Christ, it will all be for naught. The true gospel is about transformation, not consumerism. How does Paul summarize the true gospel of transformation? Well, first of all, transformation strengthens. It's the strength of Jesus, and it has to start there. It has to. If it doesn't, then we're wasting our time. Number two is this. Transformation is meant to be shared. Transformation is meant to be shared. Second part of verse 25 through 26, Paul says this. Just as my good news says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan to you Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. 
But now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. There's a couple of things for us to understand about what Paul is saying here. The, the first is that when Paul says, my gospel, he is not saying that, that he is the author of the gospel, but rather that that he's one of the few that preaches the true gospel of Jesus. Paul received the message of Jesus by direct revelation from Jesus himself, and his message was in harmony with that of the apostles who were firsthand account witnesses of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. Next, in these verses, Paul uses the words mystery and hidden. And most scholars would say that he's referring to both Jesus and the inclusion of the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people in God's plan for redemption. These truths were hidden in the writings of the prophets, which we refer to as the Old Testament. In other words, Jesus is the Messiah. He fulfilled everything the Old Testament predicted about the Messiah. But prior to Jesus coming, the message about him in the Old Testament was still a mystery. It was still hidden. And Paul is saying that the truths about Jesus are no longer hidden. They are no longer a mystery. And also, Paul's reference to the eternal God reminds us that sending Jesus to save all people was always part of God's plan. It's good news. The biggest takeaway for Paul's immediate audience and for us today as well is this. God saves all people. He saves all people, Jews and Gentiles or non-Jews alike. And Paul talks about the command of the eternal God. Seems important, doesn't it? Like we should probably know what the command of the eternal God is. In other words, what is God's plan. And we could go to many places in the New Testament to see this same message, but quickly let's go to Ephesians 3, 6 and 7. It says this, and this is God's plan. Don't you love it when the Bible is so straightforward and practical? I love it. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Transformation is meant to be shared. It's for all people. And here's the thing. I think we would agree with that in principle, that God loves everyone and wants all people to be saved. And though we would agree with that in principle, this evangelistic statement of Paul, it stands in direct opposition to the consumeristic mindset in church. Because the consumer mindset says church is all about me. It's all about what I want and what I need to be fed by. You ever caught yourself saying that? Just repent. Right? Like, we've probably all been guilty of sitting like, oh, it's just, it's just not for me. I'm just not being fed. Well, hold on now. Last time I checked, the clear teaching of Scripture is that the church exists to reach the lost. Look at Matthew 28, Great Commission. Look all over the New Testament. 
It, it is it absolutely, it's for us as believers to worship and be fed and to fellowship with one another. But if you miss the evangelistic uh, thrust of the New Testament to reach people that don't yet know Jesus as their Savior, you've missed the main point. But that's my opinion. There are few things that strike fear into the heart of Christians more than evangelism and sharing one's faith. And we're afraid for many reasons. I think fear of rejection is probably a big one. There's also a general misconception about what it means to share your faith and evangelize. Listen, I sincerely believe God will not call you to do something that he has not equipped you for. You may not believe you're equipped for it, but God won't call you to do something he hasn't equipped you for. Let me give you a simple example. Uh, My parents, I think, are some of the best evangelists that I've ever met. Now, neither of them work for churches, uh, neither of them are preachers, and neither of them would call themselves evangelists, but, but they, I'm telling you, they are like the neighborhood grandparents in their cul-de-sac. Everybody, every one of their neighbors knows them, and they know every one of their neighbors, and all those kids running around, like they come over and do projects and uh, just, they, they know each other and they've consistently made an effort to engage in conversation with their neighbors. And they've lived in multiple neighborhoods over the years. And, and, and as a result, God has used them to have a, a, a big impact on the lives of their neighbors. And it's always been a challenge to me and an encouragement to, to me to see how God has used my parents, people that would say that they're not preachers, you know, they're not evangelists, but they are. <laughs> God's using them for that. So where do I start? Where do I start? Here's some just practical ideas. Go meet your neighbors. Bring them cookies. Shovel their driveway when it snows here in a couple weeks. Right? Who's ready for snow, by the way? Yes! I, let's get rid of this 90 degree stuff. Let's bring on the snow, man. I'm ready. For, I won't be saying the same thing in February, but man... Let's get some snow. It's awesome. Get to know your neighbors with zero expectations. Don't just get to know them so you can invite them to church and then run away hoping that they won't be offended or something like that. Like really get to know them with zero expectations just because you genuinely care and you should. And if you don't, something else is wrong, right? Pray for the lost daily. Pray for people by name in your life. Pray for an opportunity to share the message of Jesus or simply share the love of Jesus with someone. Invite someone to church. There's an invite card on your seat. Uh, pray. Start praying today. Lord, who do, you want to give, uh, who do you want me to give this to? And then be faithful to do that. Uh, this is kind of a funny one, but consider switching services you attend to the 6 p.m. service. That may not seem evangelistic, uh, but our 6 p.m. service has the most room in it for people to attend. And our morning services are the most popular for guests to attend. And so I would encourage you, if it's possible for you, if it would work, uh, consider switching to the 6 p.m. service. It's, it's the same exact service. There's just a little bit more room. Uh, here's the thing. Redemption should follow you. Redemption should follow you as a Christian. So whatever your environment, begin to pray, Lord, how do you want to use me to be a part of your redeeming work in these people? How do you want to use me to be a part of your redeeming work in these people? And then when God gives you that opportunity, just be faithful. Just be faithful. 
The true gospel is about transformation, not consumerism. How does Paul summarize the true gospel of transformation? Well, first of all, transformation strengthens. Secondly, transformation is meant to be shared. And lastly, transformation has a source. Transformation has a source. Paul concludes, very last verse of Romans, verse 27, and he says this, All glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. This verse has a few ideas packed into it. And first off, Paul highlights the wisdom of God and how God's wisdom is connected to the mystery that he mentioned in the previous verse. Even though God's plan to send his only son, Jesus, was a mystery in the Old Testament, it was not a mystery to our great God. The Lord knew all along what he was doing, and he was orchestrating all of human history to bring about redemption through Christ Jesus. God's wisdom has provided salvation for all who believe. And Paul seems to suggest here at the end of the letter to the Romans that our appropriate response to this only wise God is to give him glory and honor and worship. Does this sound familiar? If you've been here through the the series, it, it probably sounds familiar to you because ironically, the verse that we started the series from and the in the verse that each message has been built upon is the same verse that we're pointed back to at the end of the series, Romans 11:36, for everything comes from him. See the connection there? He is the only wise God and exists by his power and is intended for his glory, all glory to him forever. Amen. So the final practical question becomes, how do I give glory to the only wise God? How do I give glory to the only wise God? My wife, Aubrey, and I were on a trip earlier this summer up in Billings, Montana, and and we went out to dinner one of those evenings at one of our favorite uh, restaurants in Billings. And uh, we were deciding what to eat. And and as I often will ask the wait staff, I asked that night, uh, I'll often ask the wait staff, "What's, what's the best thing on the menu? And sometimes they're helpful, and sometimes they're not that helpful. Sometimes they'll just say something like, oh, everything's good. You'll like all of it. You'll like all of it. And I know that that's usually not true, that I won't like all of it. That's why I asked. At any rate, that night, Aubrey was trying to decide whether or not to order the cauliflower pizza crust. Cauliflower pizza crust. And so she asked specifically of the waitress that we had, how's the cauliflower pizza crust? And the waitress just lit up. Like she immediately responded and said, it is delicious. It is my personal favorite. Everyone that orders it is just blown away that it's made out of cauliflower. It's so good. And so Aubrey was convinced. But internally, I'm thinking, you know, why you got to mess up a good thing? (laughs) Right? Like pizza. And you got to put vegetables in it. Like I... I'm not going to order pizza if I'm on a diet. That just, but you got to make it into diet friendly or something. At any, at any rate, 
Her enthusiasm convinced Aubrey to order it, so she orders it, and I tried it as well, and actually, it was delicious. I have to admit, it was, it was really good. The skeptical person in me says, it's probably, there's probably no cauliflower in it at all, because we tried making it at home, and it was not delicious at all. My point is, it was the waitress's personal experience and excitement and enthusiasm that convinced us. How do I give glory to the only wise God? The answer is simple. You follow him. You follow him. And take it a step further and think about, like, how do other people notice that you give glory to the only wise God? How do people in your lives, your, your neighbors or coworkers or whatever, like, like, how do they know that you're not full of it when you talk about being a Christian? They know it by the way that you live. Your, your worship of this only wise God, it's, it, it really, it doesn't have much of anything to do with how loud you sing or how high you lift your hands in praise and worship or how passionately you say, amen, preach it. Rather, it has everything to do with how you live your life. So when God tells you how to treat your spouse, you listen. And when God tells you how to raise your children or steward your finances, you obey. Because it's our act of worship, the way we live. The way we live. So is he the only wise God in your life? Church, we are dead and lost in our sin and rebellion against God. But the God of the universe, the only wise God, and just think about that for a moment. The only wise God, the God that created the heavens and the earth, the absolute core of his creation was this plan of redemption to send his son on a suicide mission to redeem the planet through faith in him. The only wise God, and that's what he did. All wisdom is found in him, and that's what he did. He devised a plan for redemption. The Lord planned long ago to send his perfect son to be born of a virgin, to live a sinless life and to die a gruesome death on a cross and to three days later rise from the dead, securing our redemption. The blood he shed on the cross would be and is for all time the sufficient payment for the sins of mankind so that by believing in Jesus, our sins can be forgiven and we can be transformed. The old is gone and the new has come. He, he says, I will take your, your stony, stubborn heart and I will give you a heart of flesh, a heart that responds to me. He can do that in us. He will do that in us. And the resurrection is the guarantee. Man, we can have an unhindered relationship with the living God. And perhaps you realize today that you've never genuinely surrendered to him as your savior, but you want to. Perhaps this this gospel I'm describing is something that you've never fully yielded yourself to. And I have this sense, church, that 
I believe there are, there are people here today that you've been fooling yourself and others your whole life claiming a Christian faith, but you know that you really haven't surrendered to him as your savior. You really haven't been all in. And maybe you know that you need to genuinely surrender to Jesus as your savior today. And I'm gonna give you that opportunity. I'm gonna pray here in just a moment, a prayer of repentance and faith and surrender to Jesus. The scripture says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess your sins to God, he is faithful and he will forgive you of your sin. Wow. That's a promise for us today. So whether it's the first time that you're gonna pray this prayer or or maybe it's a, a prayer of recommitment to the Lord, of genuine recommitment to the Lord. The power is not in these words. The power is in your genuine surrender to the Lord Jesus as your Savior. If that's you, you can pray this prayer with me, either silently in your heart to God or or out loud if you'd like to. Jesus, I believe that you are God. I am a sinner, and I've rebelled against you. Forgive me for my sin. Wash me clean and make me new. I've been a renegade, ignoring and rejecting you, but today I surrender myself to you, Jesus. Come into my life as the Lord and commander of me. Lord Jesus, help me to follow you. Amen. I want to give you an opportunity today to respond publicly because there's power in the public recognition that I believe in Jesus. And uh, you're among friends and family today who we believe in Jesus publicly. And so if you prayed that prayer genuinely, whether the first time or whether a prayer of genuine recommitment, would you just slip up your hand saying, that's me, I prayed to receive Christ. Anybody here? Praise God. I see you, I see you. Praise God. I see you. Praise God. Whether you raised your hand or not, we just encourage you to uh, stop by the guest services, grab a Bible in a Next Steps devotional. We'll give you that today free of charge, no strings at all attached. We would love to give you that to help you in your walk with the Lord. And, and I, you, need, you need to get involved in a small group. You need a small group, okay? And there's one specific small group uh, I wanna recommend to you. It's called Starting Point. Starting Point is designed for someone new to faith or someone interested in faith. We have one that is going to be during our 11 o'clock service and one that is going to be during our 6 p.m. service. Anyone is invited to that. Uh, Child care is provided during that uh, group. And uh, either Starting Point group or 42 of the other groups are available to you. And you need to be involved in a group. So please take that next step. Uh, and get involved in one of those groups. Just a reminder, if you're new today, please uh, stop by the living room. It's right through these doors over here. We have a prayer team at the purple tent behind the sound booth that would love to pray you as well. And don't forget next week about the new series called Why. I hope you have a great week. You are dismissed.